the first few books are just a giant census. So I'm not going to read the first few chapters of Numbers because I want you to be awake for the rest of the sermon, uh, but we'll get there, I promise. So it's literally just counting, counting people, and then they go on to chapters about roles and responsibilities and about the law. And for some time, the children of Israel are actually obedient, and they follow after God's instructions. Everything has been going well for a little bit, and then for no explained reason, things change. And then you get to Numbers 11, and we get back to the children of Israel that we know oh so well, and returns of the complainers. So Numbers 11.1 says that soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. So the reason why they were mad this time was they were complaining about the the route that they were taking. It, It wasn't a direct path that they were wanting, and it was taking longer than what they they wanted to do. And you have to remember, they're literally being led by a a visible pillar from God, so they know they're going exactly where they're supposed to go, and they're going exactly where God wants them to be, but they thought they knew better than God, and they wanted a more direct path, so they start to complain. And how does God respond? The ones on the outermost parts of the camp, the ones trying to do it on their own, but but still be part of the group, you know, like, I'm, I'm in it, but you're not. Yeah, those guys, he destroys them all with fire. And there's a lesson in that. Because living on the fringe is a dangerous place to be. Well, I'm not completely walking away from God. I'm just lowering my commitment a little bit, or I'm just distancing myself, and I'm doing my own thing. But God will understand. I'm still in the camp. I'm going to church, but I'm doing my own thing. But I'm just trying to test God's limits. And some of us have tested God's limits before, and we understand that he's going to respond with fire, and you're going to get burnt. You need to stay close in the camp. You don't need to be living on the outskirts. It's time to get serious. Verse 2 says that then the people screamed to Moses for help, and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. The fire only stopped when Moses intervened. And if Moses hadn't stepped in, that fire would have continued to spread. You know what you call it when you're living outside of the will of God? It's called rebellion. And if you aren't careful, rebellion can begin to spread like wildfire. And it can infect the camp. It can consume everyone that's on the fringe. And if someone doesn't step in and and say, you know what, enough is enough, then it can destroy everyone. But we've got this man of God who gets in the way and he's, he's putting himself between the destruction and the saints. It's the only way to stop it is by prayer. And what's crazy to me is that God just showed Israel what happens when you live on the outskirts. When you aren't fully committed to him, you can be consumed by fire. And then you go on to verse 4, and they immediately tempt God again. And I love how the King's James Version describes this verse. It says, And in the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? They were living on the outskirts, and now there fell a lusting in the camp. Uh, going back to the, that verse, it says, Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to, to crave good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. So the people that were traveling with the Israelites started to crave good things. And they, they allowed their, themselves to be influenced by those that, that were following with them, but maybe weren't committed. And the people of Israel also began to complain and said, Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic that we wanted, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. We remember the fish. We remember the the fruit. We remember all the flavorful things that we ate in Egypt so freely, the cucumbers, the melons, all these wonderful things, and they're comparing it to what God had done in their lives. They're comparing to what they gave up to live in, in, the, in God's will. But remember, they get to go to, to homes they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant, a, a land flowing of milk and honey, but it was going to take a journey, and it was going to take a process. And in the midst of the process, instead of staying hungry after righteousness and having a desire to follow after God, they allowed their flesh to take over. And instead of trying to, to trust God, they began to question him, and they began to desire the things of old. They began to talk about the good old days. It's a dangerous place to be when you start talking about how, oh, it was so much better when I had all this freedom. 
You didn't have freedom. You were bound. You just didn't know it. The days that we had meat and we had flavor and we had variety, I mean, we might have been slaves in bondage, but at least we had good food. You see, God wasn't being cruel by denying them the desires of their hearts. He was protecting them. If you study, you'll find out that although, although manna was bland and it was boring and it wasn't anything to get excited about, as long as they were eating it, no one ever got sick in the camp. It might not have been an exciting life, but it was a life of protection, and God was trying to keep the children of Israel safe. But here's the thing. God always gives us a choice. He wants us to seek out after righteousness and to find his will, but he's not going to force his will onto any of us. Verse 18 says, And the people, and say to the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have it to eat. And it will not just be for a day or for two or for five or ten or even twenty. You will eat it for the whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you, and you have whined to him, saying, Why do we ever leave Egypt? God wasn't angry because they wanted a variety. He was angry because they're allowed to be a lusting in the camp. They were willing to go back to a life that they were craving, and he was angry about that. He's not angry if you want to desire for more. That's, not, that's never going to be something God's angry about. But what, what brings the wrath of God is when you're willing to give up on your vision, on the blessings he has for you, because you think you know something better, and you desire something more than what he has for you. That's when God begins to get angry. See, God wants us to have promotions at work. He wants us to have good things. He wants us to, to, to have a good life, but he doesn't want us to be so consumed with our life outside of his will that it stops us from doing what he's called us to do. We can desire more without getting outside the will of God. Because if you pray long enough, you pray hard enough, God's going to give you exactly what you want, even if it's going to hurt you, even if it's going to be something that, that, that'll be your end, if it's your heart's desire and you pray long enough and you're sincere enough, God is going to give it to you. But see, with the children of Israel, they learned that when you step out of the will of God and you get those things, there's going to be a consequence. Verse 31 says, Now when the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let it fall all around the camp, for miles in every direction there were quail falling three feet above the ground. So the people went out and they caught the quail all day and throughout the night and the next day too, and no one gathered less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. 50 bushels of quail a person, that's a ton of meat. The Lord didn't respond in just some small little way, but he gave them an overabundance of everything that they asked for. The Lord told Moses, I'm going to give him enough food for a month. And I guarantee when God said that, Moses doubted a little bit. He's like, all right, we're going to give him tons and tons of quail. Verse 32 says, but while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. So the place was called Kibroth Hatava, which means graves of gluttony, because they were buried, uh, because... There they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. It was their lusting that led to their own demise. It was their desire for something outside of the will of God that caused them to die. It was their constant pleas for the Lord to to bless me with this desire that led to their destruction. Lord, I don't want to lust after my own desires and things of this world, but God, I want my, my focus to be on you. And if that means I'm going to have a boring, not exciting life full of manna and bread... For me, that's not as, as painful as for some of you, but I'm willing to give up the flavors of this world in order to see your will. It doesn't matter if it tastes good. What matters is if it's what God wants in our lives. Because here's the thing. You're always going to be full of something. You can be full of the Spirit, or you can be full of your own will. You can be full of junk. As someone whose diet is 50% junk food, I can tell you I am hungry all the time. It's never filling when you're just eating things that toddlers want to eat. Yes, that is my diet. I I don't apologize for it. But you're always hungry because it's not filling. But God, he might not give us something that tastes amazing in the moment, but it's going to get us through. It's going to give us substance. It's going to sustain us. And that's what's important. We We skip down just a little bit to see how God answered their prayer for quail. But let's go back to verse 10, and we're going to talk about how Moses handled the request of the people. And in verse 10, it says that Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining 
And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Anyone ever been there? Where you're doing everything that you can and it seems like all they're doing is just pouring more on you. Complaining, nothing's ever good enough and you can't seem to make anybody happy. If you've ever had a leadership position, I guarantee there's been that day in your life. Did I birth them? Did I bring them into this world? Why did you tell them, why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a, a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to a land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat. And Moses is praying like I pray sometimes. Instead of saying, Lord, I need your help. I don't know what to do. This task is too big in front of me. Just say, God, I'm drowning. I, I, I need you to rescue me. He goes to him and he says, Lord, how can I meet this need? Why did, why did you give me this task? Because it's too much for me. And he's, he's complaining to God about the, the thing that God put before him. If we slow down our prayer life a little bit, we can just say, God, I give it to you. What do you want me to do with it? We, we don't need to come to God and get angry at God and complain, but we can say, you know what, God? I can't do this on my own. I can't do it because I know you have the answers, and that's why I'm coming to you. Verse 14 says, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. And once again, dramatic Moses shows up. Lord, I'd rather die than deal with these people anymore. I've been there. For those of you with small children, you've probably been there too. Sometimes it's just too much. It's too overwhelming. But, but it's in that moment, in that breaking point, breaking point that Moses' journey, it comes with help. And the Lord responds to his, his dramatic statement of needing help. And he says, you know what? I'm going to send some people to help you out. I'm going I'm to help carry this burden for you. And verse 16 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. And I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. God's assuring Moses, listen, I'm going to take that spirit, I'm going to pour it out on others. I'm going to get you some help. We're going to be able to get through this. If you skip down to verse 24, it says that, So Moses reported and he went out, uh, went out and reported the Lord's words to the people. He gathered the 70 elders and he stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and he spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses, and the spirit of the Lord rested upon them, and they prophesied, but this never happened again. And there were two men, Eldad and Medad, that had stayed behind in the camp, and they listened, and they were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well, so they prophesied there in the camp. And it says that a young man ran, and he reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad, they're prophesying in the camp. Wait a minute, Moses, there's these two other guys that that they, 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 they weren't with us, they weren't supposed to be there, and they weren't part of the plan, and the Spirit of the Lord fell upon them as well. And why are these people being used of God? God didn't approve of these people because they weren't where they were supposed to be at the right time. And and you need to do something about it, Moses. And Joshua, the son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. They're prophesying. They're being used of God. And Joshua's angry about it. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. And then Moses returned to the camp with the elders of Israel. Sometimes we have the mindset of Joshua. I've been in this thing my whole life. I've read the Bible cover to cover. I've dedicated myself, and I feel like I'm worthy of God pouring his spirit upon me. But that person over there that that, that God's using, that God's blessing, they're, they're not part of the plan. They haven't gone through the instructions like I have. You see, Pastor, they've only been to service for a few times. Who are they to be teaching a Bible study to somebody else? That guy just got the Holy Ghost last week. Why is God using him for tongues and interpretation? Because that's so-and-so's role, and, then, and that's what they, they've dedicated themselves to that, and that person doesn't deserve to be used because it's not part of the plan. 
It's not about being worthy to be used, but it's about to do something to glorify God, to be so full of his spirit that when we feel God's move on us, we can't help but just go out and do exactly what he said. Eldad and Medad might not have had the same instructions, but they said, you know what? I feel something and I feel called to do something. I've got to do it. It might not make everybody else happy, but I've got to do what God's called me to do. They might not have been part of the original plan, but they put themselves in a place that God could pour his spirit upon them. They put themselves in a place where the overflow of God's spirit was so strong that the first thing they thought of was, I've got to do something for the Lord. I want to have a mind of Moses today where I don't want to be jealous when God uses somebody else, but I want to get excited. God, use that person. Use this person. And if you want to overflow on, on someone that, that, that comes into service for the first time and, and start a revival with them, God, that's amazing, and I'm going to support it. Because I don't want God just to fill us with the Holy Ghost. But I believe that God wants to fill us with a purpose. And if we're not going to act, he's going to fill it with someone that will. Calling some saints to pick up a burden today. It doesn't matter if you've been preparing for it for 20 years or if it's your first service here tonight. God is pouring out his spirit upon this church. And we need to be ready to be used for what he's called us to do. We need to be that vessel for revival. And here's the thing, someone we might mentor, someone that we might take along the way, they, may, they might go on to do better things than us. God might use them in a way that, that we're jealous of, but you know what? That's an amazing thing, and that's a great thing, and that means that God's having his will in our lives and in this church. That's something I want to achieve is the point where I can see the big picture, and I can say, you know what? I don't care if it's my worst enemy that comes in the doors. If God's going to use them to start revival, I'm going to get behind him, and I'm going to support him because that's what's important. You get to Numbers 13, and what an exciting time it must be for the children of Israel. So many ups and so many downs, but now they've arrived on the other side of the promised land. They're just on the other side of their blessing. And Numbers 13 says that the Lord said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land that I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from all their camps, from their camp into the wilderness of Paran. And then they go on to list the 12 names of, of those people. And you skip down to verse 17, and he gives the instruction. And Moses gave the men instructions as he set them out to explore the land. Go north through Negev into the, into the hill country. See what the land is like. And find out whether the people there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad? Do they have towns? Uh, Do their towns have have walls, or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile, or is it poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. And Moses never once asked the men to go out and see if they could possess the land. That was never a question that he asked them. Remember, verse 2, God had already confirmed that he was giving them the land, the purpose of of this trip, I believe, was twofold. Was one, they needed to go ahead and see what was ahead of them so they could prepare for the battle. Caleb, I'm not a history teacher, but I'm guessing that George Washington didn't wake up one morning and say, this is how we're going to fight, and this is going to be the victory, and just go off a gut instinct and no preparation whatsoever. That's not how it works. You can't go into the battle and say, you know what? George Washington says, well, God's on our side, so we're going to win. What are we going to do? I don't know, but we're going to win. It just doesn't work that way. But that's how, many, how so many of us go into battle. There's this giant battle before us, and we say, you know what? If it's the will of God, if it's the will of God, it's going to happen. If it's the will of God, then we're going to be victorious. And then we lose in the battle, and we get mad, and we blame God and say, God, why did you forsake me? Why did you not prepare yourself for what was ahead? Lord, I want to teach Bible studies. I want to be a witness, but I don't, I don't want to spend time digging into your word and preparing Lord, I want to be a soul winner, but you know what? I hate fasting. I, I don't like to do it. And I know the whole point of fasting is to, to die out to this flesh so I can be more in tune with your spirit and be sensitive to your voice. But God, you can speak to me without fasting and you can open up doors for me to witness. Lord, I want to do your will, but I don't want to put in the work. I believe that new life is on the other side of an amazing blessing. And we've already seen some things happening in the last few months. I feel like a revival like we've never seen before, it's coming. 
And although we, we get excited, I, I have to ask, are we prepared for it? Are we at the place right now where of Sunday morning there are 20 drug addicts that come up to this altar and pray for repentance that I have 20 altar workers that can pray them through to the Holy Ghost? Because if we don't have that, then we're not prepared. We say, I, I want to teach a Bible study. I want to, I want to be a witness. What happens if you walk into work tomorrow and your entire team comes up to you and asks you, do I need to be saved to go to heaven? These are some tough questions to ask, but I remember a couple years ago, I was praying, God, use me, use me, use me. And I'm standing in Best Buy, giving someone a coaching on how to sell a branded payment, how to sign them up for a, a credit card. And one of my salespeople looks at me dead in the face and says, if I'm not baptized, will I still go to heaven? I'm just trying to do my job here. And I'm like, uh... And so I was like, hey, let's sit down and let's have a Bible study. And I got to sit down and talk with them. But man, I felt so convicted afterwards. I was like, you know, I was like, well, I can't sit here and open up scripture in the middle of the workplace. Why not? If God's opening a door, then then who are we to say, well, if this isn't the right time, I'm going to do it in a little bit later. We need to be prepared so that when God says, I'm going to move, you say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to be a part of it. The harvest is so great, but our preparation has to be just as great. Lord, I want you to reveal to us not just the blessing that you have for us, but, Lord, the sacrifice that it's going to take in order for us to achieve it. And the second purpose of that trip was to build up the people's faith. Verse 23 says, When they came to the valley of Iskol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They brought back samples of of pomegranates and figs. They brought back a taste of what was ahead. Some of the people were still afraid, and Moses thought, if I can just show them the greatness that's on the other side, then it's going to build up their faith, and they're going to be ready to go. We're going to get buy-in once we see their faith in action. But what was standing in the way of their blessing that God had promised them was their fear. Verse 25 says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. And they reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. And this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and indeed it was a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey, and here is the fruit that it produces. The report that the the spies brought back was, Moses, it is everything that God said it was going to be. Every blessing that he told us, it wasn't a lie, it's there for us. But then you go to verse 28. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified, and we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And the Amalekites live in Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and all along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said, for we can certainly conquer it. If you didn't hear Brother Caleb's message a few weeks ago, you need to go back and you need to, need to listen to that. Because we need to have that, that Caleb mindset. Where it doesn't matter if there are giants in the land. What matters is if the Lord is with us. Let us not live in fear, but let's not waste another moment. Let's go and take what the Lord gave us. 31 says, but the other men who had explored the land with them had disagreed. We can't stand up against them. They are stronger than we. So they spread this bad report about the land among the uh, Israelites. Man, I wish faith would spread like gossip. We need to stop listening to bad reports. And we need to remember what God had to say on the matter. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. And the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants. They're the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what, we, and that's what they thought too. You got to remember... Moses asked for 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel. So 10 leaders, 10 people that are supposed to be there to to be the the voice of their people were scared and terrified. But it was the will of God that that Moses would lead the people into the promised land. But they wandered that desert for 40 years because their actions took them out of the will of God. So what's Israel's response to this kind of adversity? If you said murmur and complain, congrats, you earned 10 points. Verse, or chapter 14, verse 1 says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. 
Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained, why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted against them, let us choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Why is it that we can't just be content standing still? If we're scared to move forward, why is it we always have to take two steps back? It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. You're in the wilderness. You're fine. You're surviving in tents. You can just camp there and, and make it there. But no, that wasn't good enough. They had to go back to, to what they thought they knew was better for them. Then Moses and Aaron fell face, face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to the people of Israel, The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and he will give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. And what I love is Joshua and Caleb's response. They didn't go into it with an entitled attitude and say, This is what God owes us. But they said, If the Lord is pleased with us, if we've done good in his in his, his eyes, if we do our part, then the Lord's going to respond with his blessings. If we're taking personal responsibility on our decisions that we're making and we're choosing to walk in the will of the Lord, then we don't have anything to fear. But we've got to make a choice to follow after him. Joshua and Caleb got it right. If we want the blessings of the Lord, we need to make sure that we're living a life pleasing to the Lord. We can't just say, God, you promised it to me. We have to remember but what was our dedication that we had? What did, what, what did we offer up to God at that time as well? Verse 9 says, Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. The King James uh, Version of verse 9 says, Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. The enemy, the giants that everyone else sees, you know what Joshua and Caleb see? They see bread. They see nourishment. They, they, they see something that's only going to make us stronger in the end. We don't need to live in fear. And after this, this faith-building uh, speech that they give, what's the response of, of Israel? Verse number 10 says, But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. They're trying to give hope. They're trying to, give, to, 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 to preach the gospel, to do all they can. And the people that are supposed to be with them on their side, they want to destroy them. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all of the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will all these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all these miraculous signs that I have I've done among them? I will disown them, and I will destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they are. And God's furious at this point. I just sent a messenger to give you hope, to build your faith, but you want to reject and you want to stone them? You'd rather listen to the lies of the others than listen to the words of faith. And once again, Moses is standing in the gap between Israel and God. And Moses objected and he says, what will the the Egyptians think when they hear about it? He asked the Lord. They know full well the power you displayed in your rescuing power from the people, people from Egypt. And now if you destroy him, the Egyptians will send a report to the inhabitants of this land who have already heard that you, are, that you live among your people. They know, Lord, that you have appeared to your people face to face and that your pillar of cloud hovers over them. They know that you go before them in the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you slaughter all these people with a single blow, the nations that, that heard of your fame will say, the Lord was not able to bring them into the land he swore to give them, so he killed them in the wilderness. Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested, but surely as I live and surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness, but again and again they have tested me and refused to listen to my voice. They will never see the land I swore to give their ancestors, None of them have treated me with contempt will ever see it. God forgave them. He forgave them for, 
for, for what they were saying and for what they were doing, and he spared them wrath. But spoiler alert, you're still going to have to reap what you sow. God will forgive your sin, but sometimes you still have to pay for the consequences of your actions. And if we aren't careful, that's where we get mad at God. And you say, well, God, I turned my whole life around to follow after you. Well, well, why have you done this to me? God didn't do it to you. You did it to yourself. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He will remain loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored, and his descendants will possess their share of that land. You you might be the only one still standing up for God, but still stand. Because God's promise is still true. Forty years later, the giants were still there. I didn't read anywhere in Scripture that suddenly all the giants died off, or that Israel suddenly had this giant growth spurt. The only thing that changed between two generations was that the next generation changed their mindset. They didn't see themselves as victims but they saw themselves as God saw them, as victors. Stop waiting on God to remove the giants and just start removing your own doubt. Verse 25 says, Now turn around and don't go on to the land where the Amalekites and the Canaanites live, for tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How, must, how, how long must I put up with this wicked community that complains about me? Yes, I have heard of all the complaints that the Israelites are making against me, and now I will tell them this. As surely uh, as I live, I declare the Lord that uh, you will all drop dead in the wilderness. You keep on going, and it says, Everyone that complained against him, everyone who is 20 years old or older, would die. And I was kind of curious. I'm like, that's a weird thing to say. Like, why are you picking 20 years old? Like, what's the significance in that? And the reason why that magic age was 20 was because anyone that was 20 years old or older was old enough to go to war. They were old enough to make their own decisions, and they decided not to trust God and fight. So God said, you know what? You were old enough to make the decision, and you decided not to to follow after me? Then you're not going to get the reward. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give to you. The only exception will be Caleb, the son of Jephunan, and and Joshua, the son of Nun. You said your children will be carried off as a plunder. Well, I will bring them safely into the land, and they will enjoy what you have despised. But for you, you will drop dead in this wilderness, and your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And this way they will pay for your faithfulness unto the last of you dies in the land of wilderness. God used their own words against them. Well, you refused to fight because you said that I was going to take away your, your kids and your children and your future. I'm not going to lead your children into bondage. I'm going to lead your children into blessing because I still love them and I'm still going to honor my promise to them. Verse number 34 says, Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sin. Then you will discover what it was like to have me as an enemy. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will certainly do these things to every member of the community who has conspired against me. They will be destroyed here in the wilderness and they will die. The ten men that Moses had sent to explore the land, the ones that incited this rebellion against the Lord with their bad report, they were struck dead with a plague before the Lord. And of the twelve who explored the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. And when Moses reported the Lord's words to all the Israelites, they were filled with grief. The people mourned greatly. You're sad because you told God he wasn't capable, and instead of proving you wrong, God just said, you know what, you're right. I'm not capable, so I, I'm not, I'm not going to respond to you. Then they got up early the next morning, and they went to the top of the hills, and they said, let's go. And when they, when they realized that they had sinned, that they were ready now to enter the land that the Lord had promised them. The people realized what they had done, and they were filled with grief. But you know what it doesn't say anywhere? It doesn't say that they were filled with a repentant heart. We, we've heard Moses cry out before the Lord and his people, and we've, we've heard what, what the cost of our our, our disobedience is going to be. And instead of crying out for, for repentance for the rebellion, they just said, you know what? We're going to go ahead anyways. We're going to go on and do our own thing. We realize we've sinned, but now we're ready for what you have for us. <laughs> That's a dangerous place to be in sometimes where we say, you know what, God, I acknowledge my sin, but bless me. We, we need to be truly repentive and get our hearts clean. God is a God of second chances, 
But there's going to come a time where he's going to, can, if we choose a life of disobedience over and over and over again, those second chances are going to be gone. The blessing that he once had for us, it doesn't mean it never existed. It means that we, we moved out of the will of God and it, it's not there anymore. So they go into this battle without the Lord and they lose. There isn't victory when you go into battle against the will of God. See, when you step outside the will of God, dangerous things happen. And if you aren't careful, a a spirit of entitlement will come upon you. Number 16 says that one day Korah, son of Ishar, the descendant of of Kothoth, the son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abram, the sons of Elab, the sons of Peloth, from the tribe of Reuben. And they incited a rebellion against Moses, along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly. They united against Moses and Aaron said that you have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been sent apart by the Lord, and he is with us all. What, did you do, what, what right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? Essentially, where they're at is they're no longer respecting the authority that God has given Moses. They're saying, well, the Lord's with all of us. We've all seen the, the glory of God. We've all heard God speak in the camp. So what makes you so special? We're now equals. Just because we all speak in tongues doesn't mean each of us have the same role. And when Moses heard the things that were, they were saying, he fell down on his face to the ground. Then he said this to Korah and his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. And the Lord will allow only those whom he selects to enter his own presence. Korah, you and all of your followers must be prepared, must prepare your incense burners, Light fires in them tomorrow and burn incense before the Lord. Then we will see who the Lord chooses as his holy one. You Levites are the ones who have gone too far. Then Moses spoke again to Korah. Now listen, you Levites. Does it seem insignificant to you that God, the God of Israel, has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near him so that you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the Lord or stand before the people to minister to them? What he's saying is you guys have a role. You have a call and you've got something important to do. But, but can you not, not see what your calling is? Why are you thinking so highly of yourselves? Korah, who has already given his special ministry to you and to fellow Levites, you're now demanding the priesthood as well? And the Lord is, uh, the, Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. You think you're coming against me, but you're coming against God. For, for who is Aaron that you're complaining about? And Moses summoned Dathan and Abraham, the sons of Elab, but they only replied, we refuse to come before you. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey, to kill us here in the wilderness, and now you treat us like your subjects? What's more, you haven't brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey. You haven't given us a new homeland with with fields and vineyards. Are you trying to fool these men? We will not come. Saying, listen, Moses, we, we, we followed the charade long enough, but it, the promises aren't coming, and, and we think we're just as close as God is, as you are, so we're not going to listen to you anymore. Who are you to tell us what to do? we got to be careful that we, we remember our role and what God has called us to do. It doesn't matter if you shout and run the aisles and you, 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 you speak in tongues for an hour. You don't walk up to the, to the man of God and say, listen, this is what we're going to do because I, I know better than you. And that's what Korah and all these... these uh, Levites were saying, Moses, we were okay following you when things were going good, but where are the promises that you told us about? We don't need to respect this authority that you have over us anymore. And meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron, and they all gathered in the tabernacle entrance. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community, and the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, get away from these people that I may instantly destroy them. Yet again, Moses and Aaron are standing in between people's sin and rebellion and God's wrath. But Moses and Aaron fell down on the ground. Oh God, they pleased. You are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? Moses was saying, don't punish everyone for one man's sin. Be careful who you align yourself with. You might not be the one in disobedience, but... If you align yourself with that person, you're outside of the will of God and you're living in a dangerous spot. Verse 23 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Then tell the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram, 
So Moses got up and, and rushed over to the tents of Dathan and Abram and, and followed by the elders of Israel. And they said, quick, he told the people, get away from the tents of these wicked men and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you will be destroyed for their sins. Don't allow yourself to get close to their sins because if you allow yourself to get close enough and their sin touches your life, it's going to destroy you as well. So all the people stood back from the tents of Korah and Dathan and Abram. Then Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the entrance of their tents, gathered their wives and their children and their little ones. And Moses said, this is how you will know the Lord has sent me to do these things I have, I have done. For I have not done them on my own. But if these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. It's really not looking good for him. Because Moses wasn't going to say, if they die. But Moses said, listen, they're going to die. And they're going to die. But if they die in a normal way, then you know it wasn't God. But if they die in a way that's, that, that's new, then God's revealing his power to everyone. But if the Lord does something entirely new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. And he had hardly finished speaking these words when the ground suddenly split open between them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households and all their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. Their entire family was gone. Anyone that followed after them was gone. All their things were gone. And if you aren't careful, your sin's not only going to destroy you, but it's going to destroy everything that you care about and everyone that's around you. So they went down alive into the grave along with their belongings, and the earth closed over them. And they all vanished from among the, the people of Israel. And all the people around them fled when they heard their screams. The earth has swallowed us too, they cried. But then, then the, the fire blazed forth from the Lord, and it burned up the 250 that were offering incense. These ones that spoke so boldly before Moses, when they saw the wrath of God, they, they tried to turn around and run away, but it was too late. They were consumed by fire. Verse 41 says, but the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the Lord's people. Moses literally warned the people before Korah dies that if he dies in a natural way, then then the Lord's not with me. But if you see God destroy Korah in a new way, then you know he's with me. And you're still trying to put Korah on this pedestal and blame Moses. And as the community gathered to protest Against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and they saw the cloud had covered it and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron stood in front of the tabernacle and the Lord said to Moses, get away from these people so I can instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell their face to the ground. And Moses said to Aaron, quick, take the incense burner in the, and place burning coals on it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and to make them right with the Lord. For the Lord's anger is blazing against them, and a plague has already begun. And Aaron did as Moses told him, and he ran out among the people, and the plague had already begun to strike down the people. But Aaron burned the, most, the, burned the incense and purified the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and that's when the plague stopped. Moses and Aaron were literally standing in the gap between the dead and the living. You want to know what leadership is? Leadership is when people doubt you, when people say terrible things about you, when people are trying to attack you, you still stand in the gap for their protection. You do all that you can to say, you know what, not one more life. It it doesn't matter if they've turned their back on me. It doesn't matter if they've said terrible things about me. All that matters is that we stop one more life from being lost. But 14,700 people died in that plague in addition to those that had already died in the affair involving Korah. Then because the plague had stopped... Aaron and Moses returned to the entrance of the tabernacle. Number 17 is another head-scratcher for me because after all this, they they need a true sign still of who the priest is, of who God's called to to be this minister. Even after all that, they still needed a sign from God. Number 17 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring you twelve wooden staves, one from each leader of Israel's ancestral tribes, and inscribe each leader's name on the staff. Inscribe Aaron's name on the staff of the tribe of Levi, and there must be one staff for the leader of each ancestral tribe. Place the staves in the tabernacle in front of the ark containing the tablets of the covenant where I met with you. Buds will sprout on the staff that belongs to the man I choose, 
and then I will finally put an end to the people's murmuring and complaining against you. So Moses gave the instructions to the people uh, of Israel, and each of the 12 leaders, including Aaron, brought Moses' staff, and they placed the staves in the Lord's presence in the tabernacle of the covenant. When he went into the tabernacle of the covenant the next day, he found that Aaron's staff, representing the tribe of Levi, had sprouted, budded, blossomed, and produced ripe almonds. It yielded almonds. This, this, this rod that came from a dead tree, God was not, able, not only able to, to use it to, to bud and to blossom a flower, but it brought forth ripe almonds. I believe God put this in here for us tonight because he's speaking to us and he's saying, you know what, you feel like you're dead. You feel like you've got nothing else to offer. But something happens when you bring a dead thing into the presence of God. Not only did he bring it back to life, but it produced fruit. It produced something. You feel like you're dead. You feel like you've got nothing to offer. And the Lord is about to take a dead thing, and he's about to bring it to life. And not only is he going to bring it back to life, but he's going to restore ministries that you thought weren't even possible. And I'm going to bring forth this this blessing to show everyone what I'm capable of doing. Numbers 21, uh, the Israelites decide finally to change their ways and, and to approach battle a different way. The Canaanite king of Arad, who lives in Negev, heard the Israelites were approaching on the, the road through Anthem. So he attacked the Israelites, and he took some of them as prisoners. Then the people of Israel made this vow to the Lord. If you will hand these people over to us, we will completely destroy all their towns. The Lord heard the Israelites' request, and he gave them victory over the Canaanites. And the Israelites completely destroyed them and their towns, and the place uh, has been called Horam ever since. They told the God, they said, you know what, we're going to learn from our mistakes. If, if you show up and you fight with us, then we're, we're going to be obedient and do everything that you've asked us to do. But yet again, they get another victory that they don't deserve. And instead of thanking God for it, they complain about the journey that they're on. And then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient on the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Who have you... Well, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. I think they thought, you know what, we just had this big victory. We just had this big battle, so there should be a blessing for us. We shouldn't have to settle for what we, what we had before. We, we, we deserve that. We deserve something more. And, and if we aren't careful, we get in that same mindset where, where God gives us a victory, and instead of saying, you know what, God, I'm, I'm so thankful for what you did and how you responded, we, we think, God, that was a tough thing that I just got over. Like, where's my blessing? What else do you have for me? Because I need something more for for the things that I've gone through. Verse 6 says, So the Lord sent a poisonous snake among the people, and and many were bitten and died. And the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord told them, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole, and all who are bitten uh, will, will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake could look at the bronze snake and they would be healed. And this is the response from the Lord. He didn't remove the, the, the snakes. He didn't remove the, the thing that, that, that caused them pain. This time he didn't do it. But he said, you you still got to go through this hurt, and you still got to go through this pain. But if you turn your eyes upon the Lord, if you you turn your eyes upwards, then there's a healing that's going to come. Sometimes the Lord will remove the obstacle that causes us pain, and other times he's going to offer us a healing for the hurt that's going to be caused. Just because he didn't remove the, the obstacle or the pain doesn't mean that he's not there with you. Over the past few weeks, we've learned several lessons from Moses and the children of Israel. We've learned how it's important to respond to the call of the Lord. God knew we were flawed when he called us, but he chose us for a reason. He's going to equip us with everything that we need. We learn to not be complacent. God may have called you here for a season, but that doesn't mean he wants you to stay where you're at. Don't forget about the promise that's still ahead. Sometimes God will put us in impossible situations because he needs to reveal himself to the world around us. He wants to show off his power and his might through those tough situations. We need to learn how to trust the process and continue to to walk in the will of the Lord. The Lord didn't just call us 
because he wanted us to be built up with hope and faith and, and nice words, but the Lord called us because he wanted us to act. It's up to us to change our mindset. God can reveal his plan for us, but we have to decide if we're going to allow ourselves to believe it or be frozen with doubt. God is always going to supply our needs. It might not be what we want, and it might not be something that we enjoy at the time. And sometimes God's going to bless those around us more, and he's going to bless those around us less. But we don't need to be concerned with how much everyone else has because God is giving us exactly what we need, everything that we need to survive. We learned what it feels like uh, to keep struggling with the same thing over and over again. We should probably just take a moment and ask God, God, what did you want me to learn from this season? Lord, I don't want to continue living in a cycle, but God, I want to learn how to grow. Because there's an amazing blessing waiting for us once we learn to remove the bitterness that's got us stuck. When we feel like we can't take another step and we, we keep pressing on, that's where the blessing is. We learn that we need prophetic prayer. And it's through prophetic prayers and praying the promises of God, praying prayers full of faith, that's when un, un, miracles are truly going to be unleashed. Time and time again, the Lord supplied their need. When he did it, though, he asked the people to shift their focus on him. If we're in a time of need, we need to shift our focus on the one who can supply our need because there's protection and obedience uh, to the Lord. We've learned that we can't do it alone, and it's okay to ask for help. God doesn't expect us to do it alone, and he's actually preparing others to help us. He's just waiting for us to ask for the help that we need. We've learned that we need to uh, unite with one another and stand by each other because that's when we become stronger. For the Lord is our Jehovah Nisi. He's our, our banner, our rallying point. We learn the importance of intercessors, people that are willing to stand in the gap for the loss. Countless times, God would have destroyed a nation if it wasn't for someone standing in the gap praying for them. There's a lost and dying world that needs someone to stand in the gap. God will destroy the enemy, but it's us, up to us to remove the temptation. Don't allow sin to live in the land, because if you allow sin to live in the land, eventually it's going to destroy us. Don't get caught up in the minimums. Freely give to God. In our finances, in our time, in our effort, God is able to, to do an amazing thing when we don't focus on the minimums, but we freely give. Don't focus on the vessel, but focus on God, because the vessel can and will at some point let you down. Man isn't worthy of any praise, but God is worthy of all the praise. Be careful what you pray for, because if you ask long enough, the Lord's going to answer your prayer. We need to pray for his will and not ours, because our will sometimes leads to our own destruction, and it's going to lead to more pain than we need to go through. He won't always remove the thing that's going to hurt us, but he will always heal us if we focus on him. We need to learn to walk in faith, even though it may look impossible. If the Lord promised, then it's, it's us, up to us to claim it. And finally, there's victory in obedience. There's blessing in obedience. The Lord doesn't forget his promise, for he's forever faithful if we put our trust in him. Lord, I want to thank you for bringing us together, God, for, for the past few weeks, what you've uh, unveiled to us about Moses. And God, my, my hope and my prayer tonight is, Lord, that it's not just something that we use to fill time, but Lord, it's something that you can use these words to, to inspire us, Lord, to do something more for you, Lord, to, to, de- to get a burden like never before, God, that you might be able to activate something in us, Lord, that we might be able to make impact, Lord, in our world and in this community. And we thank you for it, each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, you are dismissed.